Well, hello, everyone. I'm Jill Bloom, publisher of Walls and Ceilings, and welcome to our podcast, If Walls Could Talk. And thank you so much for listening. I'm honored to be here today with Scott Robinson, the Director of Public Affairs at EMA, which is the EFS Industry Members Association. And I also have with me today, Hannah Baloli, our Associate Editor for Walls and Ceilings, and also John Wyatt, the Editor of Walls and Ceilings. So again, welcome everybody. And Hannah, I'm excited to turn it over to you. Yes, thank you, Jill. And thank you, Scott, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. As Jill said, I'm Hannah Baloli, the Associate Editor of the Walls and Ceilings Magazine. Now, I've been with the magazine for a little over a year now. And I remember when I first started, I was promised all the luxuries. We'd be traveling, going to Vegas my second month on the job. And yet, here we are. I'm surrounded by the same four walls every single day. And if walls <laughs> could talk, believe me, you would not want to know what they'd be saying about me. <laughs> But Scott Robinson, we do want to know what these walls would be saying about you. Would they say that your whole life you dreamed of being the director of public affairs at EMA? Why don't you tell us how you got here? All right. So thank you, uh, Jill, Hannah, and John. Um, it truly is a pleasure to, to be talking with you guys again. Um, honestly, I would say that you're three of my favorite people, too, in the entire construction industry. So oh, you are nowhere so I'd rather be. You're too kind, Scott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so about a... Uh, a decade ago, I was um, in local government and decided that I wanted a change. And I, I truly stumbled upon the EFS industry. I met David Johnson, who is our executive director, and he, we had a great conversation about an industry I knew very little about, and and it seemed like something very compelling and an opportunity to, um, I would say, grow with a bunch of great people. And since then, it's been about a decade. And I think that, I think while I would not say that when I was 12 years old, in the back of my mind, I thought I'm going to get into the construction industry somehow, I, I certainly wouldn't trade this for anything now. I mean, this has been, it's a lot of fun and continues to be. Well, we have to agree with you because we all love what, our, what we do over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Scott, you've been a great uh, contributor to the magazine obviously a great friend. What I want to chat about um, today, among the other things, but let's first bring up the Hero Awards. So who's the most recent winner? And why don't you tell us each year how the winner is decided? Yeah, so obviously things are going to be a little bit different this year. Um, and they have, they've headed down that path already. Um, you know, every year we're in the so we're in the third iteration from when we uh, brought the Hero Awards back. Um, we we launched them with the 2018 Hero Awards. We did this uh, great event, John. I mean, you were there uh, down in Texas. And and it was really this like uh, ballroom feel that you had nominees were coming to the EMA annual meeting that maybe weren't there uh, previous years. We had manufacturers bringing the whole teams of uh, projects. And, and it really turned into this awards gala. Um, it moved from that point on to, to the 2019 Eve Hero Awards, which thankfully we were lucky enough to still have the annual meeting last March, right before um, everything started to slow down. And so this year there was obviously a lot of conversations about how we might um, still, I think, represent the industry well and allow for these projects that, that really should be showcased to, to do so. So, the, so in terms of the most recent winner, we had the Ronald McDonald House, um, of Connecticut. 
I think, a, a great opportunity to showcase that hospitality and healthcare project. And again, you know, one of those that we were able to do in person. We had for this year's, which we will still announce um, in May during a period that would have been the uh, annual meeting, um, obviously will not be an in-person meeting. So we've got a couple things up our sleeves right now. Um, but I will say, and I can't say who it is, but the hero of the year has been uh, selected and other projects were identified that we'll be uh, showcasing at that point too. And looking at the, even in a down year like 2020, where maybe you would have assumed that we would have fewer uh, nominations, we still had 34 to 35 projects from across the U.S. that were submitted. So it was definitely... Yeah. Uh, my understanding is the the jury had a difficult time, and I got to see some of the projects, and they were, um, I think projects we'll be seeing a lot more of because we'll be showcasing those in a, a host of different ways. So it definitely showed the, you know, both performance value, but uh, certainly the eye-popping reality of, of what EAPS can be. So, Scott, real quick, in regards to the HERO Award, um, Am I not to be confused with what was the Mike Sweeney Award? Um, am I getting those confused? Yeah, so the Mike Sweeney Award was the, um, the Hero Award is really, um, is more of a project base that we wanna showcase an actual EAPS project. The Mike Sweeney Award was a, uh, something we ran from, it started the first year that I got to EMA, so in, in 2012. And I believe we ran it to about 2018 or 2019. And that was to showcase um, articles that were written. So obviously, Walls and Ceilings had, uh, there were many recognized from, from articles that appeared in Walls and Ceilings. And those were to, to showcase more um, authors. And I don't know that we, we did take a two-year, I think it was a two-year break um, from that program it may very well be one that um, I think we've seen a couple things lately that would uh, probably encourage us to, to revamp that one and, and bring it back. So there is a difference, but two different. That's right. And, and I just want to state uh, rip to Mike Sweeney. He was a great um, friend to the industry and walls and ceilings. He worked with Stowe as basically um, my, me and Hannah's contact there um, kind of, I guess um, the director of marketing, but anyhow, great dude. And I'll let you uh, kick off the next question. All right. Uh, so Scott, when we spoke last summer, a large portion of our conversation centered around issues facing contractors, specifically the concerns over the labor shortage. How is EMA responding to these concerns? Yeah, so great question. Um, obviously, it was a major topic last year when we spoke and continued to be. Um, you know, we as the entire construction industry lost about a million jobs in 2020. Now, I would say we're, we're pretty lucky because contractors are some of the toughest individuals you're going to meet. Uh, they're dedicated, they care about the craft, and, and I think they understand the overall impact that they can play on the uh, society. So at EMA, uh, we've got a couple different things that, that we started to do and that we're going to continue doing over the, the next year and into the future. Uh, past This past fall, we released the first video focused uh, primarily on this group and the, what we're calling the EAPS Craftsmen. Uh, we want to highlight their work and the impact that they make in both the construction industry, but again, more importantly, the EAPS industry. The second thing 
is our contractor committee and actually several other members within EMA are designing EMA University. And this will be an opportunity to provide education through a certification course. Um, it's something that contractors have come to us for years encouraging us to do. And it's something that truly has expanded over the last year and, and that we'll be looking to launch it later in the fall. So this will, will really be to address the uh, goal of not just providing uh, a catch-all for education, but really an educational, a continuing education opportunity. Um, I think so beyond the, beyond really the tools and resources and having a direct line with EMA staff, we've got a couple exciting programs that, that will continue throughout this year. So in regards to Generation Z, um, recently on your LinkedIn, Scott, uh, I believe you shared a slogan from your hometown Roots in the past, eyes on the future. Eyes so, the future. yeah, tell us how that plays into the need for Gen Z in the industry. How would you target this group into the construction um, industry? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I, I did just post that on LinkedIn. I absolutely love that slogan from my hometown. Um, we had a period, by way of background, uh, there's this great story in our hometown about what was called Old Homecoming and there was a period where my hometown between Buffalo and Rochester, right on the Erie Canal, railroad, um, all these great historical components. And, and one of the things that occurred was that in the 1800s, people, after being founded in 1832, people started to leave. And they created this whole marketing campaign to bring people back. And they were doing these glorious parades. And, and everyone started coming back and they coined it homecoming, old homecoming. And so as time went on, they started to realize that obviously the community needed to continue to be forward thinking, but we can never forget the past. And I think that, you know, both for the East industry and construction in general, that's something that we could all live by, that we have to continue to look at the past. We should never push away uh, the individuals that got us here in construction. We should never uh, turn a blind eye to some of the advancements that they did. But all along the way, we're going to learn from the past and that's going to help propel us into the future. So, You've got my favorite generation now, Generation Z. You're all about to enter the workforce, and you're already taking this huge weight off my shoulders as an older millennial, because we have been constantly told how we were screwing it up, and now we're fine, and it's Generation Z that's going to get all the flag. So I think that, that when you look at that motto, and you think about how we can approach Generation Z, we as the building and construction industry need to determine the image that we want to portray. The perception for many is still one of grueling labor on the job site. Whether we all want to believe it, the industry is certainly going to continue to change. Uh, technology will continue to play a large role in the coming years and gaps that I believe this generation can fill is going to really help us fill the new workers. So I think that you know, I think in the, the short end, we take that phrase, we take Generation Z and realize that, that we probably have to better understand, you know, where they're coming from. Keep in mind, this is the generation that has had STEM classes pushed on them. Well, math, science, technology are all things that you have to do not only if you're on the wall, but if you're in the office space, really looking at designs, looking at, you know, how you might more uh, better effectively create these uh, legacy projects that, that we're talking about. And, and even further, I think that in acknowledging who, and John, as you mentioned that, that post, you know, by 
2031 projections show that 41 percent of the current construction workforce is going to retire so there's wow. our problem that we can't get around that so we get around it by you know showing the construction industry as something more the the opportunities for growth generation z believes 74 percent of them believe that skills-based education is the way of the future uh, I, this same study showed that 87% believe that what they view as success in a job in a five-year plan will match their passions. And it's that, you know, again, if we can show them that the construction industry is a place they want to be, they've already proven that they're going to buy into that. And, and let's be honest, cost of college continues to go up. Oh, yeah. You know, this, is, <laughs> this truly is the opportunity to, to get a group in. And, you know, I'll say my, my wife is a an English teacher, and we were talking about college and how she's got kids in in New York that go to these BOCES programs for different trades and, and then kids that are heading to college. And what do you do the first two years of college? You simply relearn everything that you just did in high school. You take all mm -hmm. the core classes and and now are you really advancing your skills at that point or might there be another path? And I think that I think we just have to continue to, again, show this generation that the 23, 25 year olds now that are just getting into the workforce have just gone through an international pandemic, there might be an opportunity that, that you know, they're unaware of and that we could, you know, paint the great picture that, hey, the best days are still ahead of us, but we've also got a great history to, to back us up. Just so I, I, I love them. Yeah, go ahead. Um, for our listeners here, I think when Scott said BOCES, um, I think that's a regional thing for New York. But if I understand right, yeah. BOCES is like a vocational school or a trade program, right? Mm -hmm. um, does yes. it begin uh, in, in high school or is that post-senior um, year? Yeah, I believe it's still – no, it's in high school. So you have a – right, in New York, it's, it's a separate schooling um, that's set up. So you would still go to high school for some of the core classes and – I think multiple times a week you would essentially be bussed over to this other school and, and learning some of the those traits. As you mentioned, it is still regional, but obviously several opportunities in other states similar to that. Yeah. And Generation Z, too, I've noticed uh, me being a part of it. I think I'm right on the cusp. Um, they really do not like school from when I was in college. A lot right. of people are just, you know, trying to do their uh, papers and such so they can just finish their classes uh, but they also are very passionate about the environment which kind of plays into the recent announcement that the United States has rejoined the Paris Climate Accord. So Scott what role can EFS play in meeting these climate goals as I'm sure there's tons of uh, underutilized products and technologies that can help us you know reinvent our buildings. Yeah I mean is there is there a more exciting topic for anyone in the EFS industry than climate and energy efficiency in a green building. I mean, this is the, you know, I would thank all of you for, you know, I had my article in, in Walls and Ceilings a couple months ago, and it was on this very topic before we got to this point with the Paris Climate Accord. Um, climate change, for me in high school, I remember when we were talking about uh, light bulbs and should go to the store and, and whether or not your parents know it, you should get these light bulbs and you're, you're going to save uh, Efficiency and this is the path forward. And now, uh, every major presidential debate, they have to release change uh, plans and policies. And we have things that that sweep the country. And I think that that where I come from, it's the idea that this topic always quickly moves in a direction of new things. 
and a lot of existing technologies and proven systems like EAPS. We have the we have the opportunity that when you look at EAPS, that here is a um, a building system that in its nature helps to cut carbon emissions, beginning at the actual transportation of the materials to the job site, we're cutting back. If you look at um, national studies from uh, NIST or the National Institute of Standards and Technology, we know that EAPS has a smaller carbon footprint and less of an impact on uh, global warming than many of the competitors out there as well. So I think that there, there are many others that can, can help along the way. But we know that when you think of it by design, 39% of energy in buildings is a result of loss that occurs through the walls. At its very core, this is what EAPS is designed to address. So, so I think that climate is a conversation we should have and that we shouldn't be scared of the idea that, hey, maybe there are these um, you know, pacts and agreements that we're gonna be part of, but at the same time, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, realize that there are tested and high-performing systems out there that are going to far surpass the goals that we even, you know, have set forth at this. So I think when it comes to energy efficiency, we should all be talking about these over and over. So Scott, EMA has just a great newsletter, and it's just chock full of different things from, you know, industry news specific to beefs industry, and then as well as recognizing what's going on with codes and things nationally and, and uh, I guess North America. But it, so there have been some references to the mediation process occurring between the New York City Department of Buildings, EMA and others. I think even this past December, the New York City um, DOB decided to move forward with their proposal. So what happens now? Can you get into that? Yeah, so um, great topic. Um, one that, as you mentioned, we have been talking about for quite a while. Uh, for the better part of three years, we've been working with uh, some other organizations with these code changes in New York City. Um, as you uh, mentioned, mediation process and the language that that had been working uh, worked on was essentially, uh, I'll say finalized, submitted. We were made aware of it in December. Um, it's not good for us. It is something that we have worked through, and it results in a de facto ban on EAPS. Uh, further, it places great restrictions on any system that uses combustible materials. So, so for us, this is really a non-starter. If we're going to represent our membership, there's uh, this is not something we're going to go along with. Um, as we just discussed, energy efficiency, carbon emissions, global warming, uh, EAPS is a tool in that fight. In 2019, New York City passed Local Law 97, which set incredibly optimistic goals on reducing their own energy consumption in buildings. They knew that that was an issue. So if they intend to be this model for energy reductions, we have a solution for you and it's EAPS. And more so EAPS is not only fire tested, but it's entirely compliant. So with events that we have happen, uh, happen around the world and initiatives here in the U.S., I would certainly put my confidence in a system like EAPS rather than a concept or design that might work, and that's essentially what they've done. So the next process right now is that we're, we're obviously still continuing to work with um, allies. As, as we've mentioned, we have quite a bit of support from others across the U.S. and from the building and construction industry 
that that want that ability to use each and, and use other systems that we know are already tested. We know how they perform because we constantly are trying to overachieve the tests that are thrown at us. And and we're going to see where where this one goes. Um, it does have to still go to city council. There'll be committee hearings. And, and at that point, we're going to put our best foot forward. And hopefully that the city and the Department of Buildings and, and the council at that point realize that, you know, while uh, maybe good intentions were there, it's just not the right decision to make. And I think in, it's not the safe decision to make. And, and certainly if we want New York City to be um, that cornerstone of efficiency and what we all look at for green buildings, yeah. why would you throw out a tool like EVES? Right, and Scott, can you talk a little bit about uh, why uh, the New York City Department of Buildings decided to move forward with their proposal? Did they give any sort of good reasoning? Because I'm just trying to understand, uh, and I really don't, but like you said, you know, why would you not utilize what EVES can give to the industry? Yeah, so we, uh, we did talk about early on um, in some of the, the discussions, it was the uh, conversation over combustible materials. And, and while it, it moved into uh, not just banning of combustible materials, it started to turn into the, okay, well, if not that, we will uh, come to a sense that, hey, we'll come to the table and, and we'll kind of backtrack to this point. Uh, if we want to, we've created, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, created a design that we believe um, works or is appropriate to address these issues. The issues of, uh, you know, largely fire safety. And so they put that forward. And now I think that in their, in the mind of the design, it was a, okay, great. So we're not banning anything, but you will have to redesign your system to meet this. Well, and that's why we say it's a de facto ban because that's not that's not a tested EVE system that that they're now asking for. And I think that this is an uh, frankly an example of where uh, maybe the concerns or the objectives and goals of, of different entities are going to uh, hit head on. And our argument will always be that you know we care greatly about building safety. We care greatly about building performance. We hold up the fact that if it's fire safety that we want to discuss, EMA has a track record of defending NFPA 285 and making sure that the test truly represents what's being built. And that, you know, whether it's 285 or, or 268 and ASTM standards, you know, each continues to meet, surpass these, these fire codes. So we should be able to move beyond that topic to again talk like that we have a tool to address another issue that I think is at the forefront of essentially every conversation relating to buildings. So why in the world would you tell us to put that tool away? Right. Yeah. And Ema, Ema has been doing this for almost 40 years, you know, caring uh, in immensely about energy efficient building and uh, like you said, fire safety. So on a little bit of a, you know, a lighter note, why don't you take us through Ema's history? You know, 40 years in May, that's a long time. <laughs> sure. I, I mean, I think this is great, right? It's like the happy anniversary moment for companies uh, and individuals, both past and present. And yeah, exactly. we, uh, We've always talked about 1981. Um, we, 
I think at least uh, many of us never, you know, different players involved now. And so we never really thought back to that, uh, that period in, in 81. And we started to do a little bit of research trying to figure out if we could find the, the actual date. And lo and behold, we found out that on May 28th, uh, eight manufacturers ended up meeting at the AWCI headquarters in downtown Washington, D.C., and they formed um, at the time what was called the Exterior Installation Manufacturers Association. And mm-hmm. and we, you know, thankfully for all of you guys that post your uh, articles online so we can end up finding them, in this case, you know, decades later, we found that they had that initial meeting. They set in motion the um, initial committees that I think they're called task force and uh, task force, and they were to look at um, everything from you know to um, the basic formation of of committees and who would be in charge. And we found that you know there were even conversations at the point where leading each manufacturers were not ready to be members, and that some attended everything, but there were questions of the way the AWCI was set up, that there were other committees that they were all on, and they were like, well, maybe we don't even need to have one at this point, because we have this already. Um, We found that about a month later, in the end of June, they had their first official business meeting. They set everything in motion uh, even more, and Dan Coda, who is an individual that I have never met, was actually named the original chairman of the the organization. So mm-hmm. we can fast forward now 40 years, and uh, we have everything from EMA relocating down to Georgia, uh, coming back in 2009, the same year that EFS was listed in the International Building and Residential Codes, um, to uh, the Oak Ridge National Laboratory had uh, multiple studies on the uh, moisture and thermal performance of Eve, showing it outpacing others, um, to you know a combination of victories on on codes and standards, to the 200 plus restricted codes we had in Texas that were eliminated in 2019, to hopefully in the coming year again that we've got this great educational program that that we're going to launch, and maybe in 10 years from now we're talking about how you know, that Generation Z really showed up and they uh, advanced the entire industry even more. So you're right. It is a positive year, I think, for us. And maybe this is a celebration we need even more than than ever after 2020. Yeah. Hey, as we wrap things up here, Scott, real quick, um, I know there's been a lot of back and forth um, regarding upcoming shows. And does EMA plan to this year tentatively piggyback at onto basically the Intex Expo, um, or is there going to be something different? Can you comment on that? Yeah, uh, the hope is that, you know, we'll still do a, uh, we've got something planned for May, so we can still, uh, it'll be a very brief uh, virtual type thing, but something where we can really showcase um, the Hero Awards. The other thing is that we are tentatively looking at a November date, um, we'll begin, uh, as long as everything uh, goes full steam ahead, um, we will move forward with that. It won't be in conjunction with AWCI and Intex, which I believe is in uh, mid-October, uh, but we're looking at a couple uh, venues for that as well. So so we are, we're certainly optimistic about an in-person meeting uh, this fall. I think that, I think we can all remain optimistic that, that things will be in a much uh, better place at that point. 
So we'll make sure that you guys know about that first. Please do, and th thanks so much, uh, Scott, for taking your time on uh, this Friday to outline just some really important points. So uh, keep up the good work. My congratulations and everyone on behalf of Walls and Ceilings to EMA for 40 excellent years. Uh, keep up the great work. Jill, do you want to sign us off? That'd be great. Yeah, Scott, you know, EMA definitely has some incredible resources. So how can contractors join? Yeah, so we have everything uh, very simple. You can do it online. Uh, go right to EMA.com and uh, we actually have a join EMA section right there. Um, and Jill, I have to say it because both you and Hannah are on. Um, Women in Construction Week is next week. So congratulations to both of you for the impact that you continue to have on the construction industry. But, but well, I had to mention you. that. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. We are definitely excited to help celebrate uh, Women in Construction Week. And we're, of course, excited to help EMA celebrate your 40 years. And hey, even more exciting that we helped you figure out exactly that it was May 28th. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. awesome. Well, Scott, we truly appreciate your leadership. You're a great example to all contractors, and I love your passion for the industry. And we are, again, very honored to be speaking with you today. And thank you to everybody who's listening. If you have any questions, make sure you go to wconline.com. And if you'd like to join EMA, again, Scott, what's the website? Can you say that again for us? If you go to, yep, ema.com, and you will see the join EMA spot right there. Sounds great. And everyone, please stay safe and healthy. And we look forward to talking to you next time.